Welcome to Darker Days Radio, and we are back with a another exciting and interesting episode. This time around, we will be looking at the upcoming Kickstarter for Scarlands Dead Man's Rust, and we are joined by uh, a guest today, who is Travis Lake. But of course, I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I am joined by James. Hey there. And I am joined by Crystal. Hello. And as I said, we are joined by Travis Lake from Onyx Path Publishing. You, uh, on, uh, Travis, so you're the developer for Scarlands, then, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm uh, the yeah. freelance uh, line developer for Scarlands. I do uh, some writing on other lines as well. Done some Pugmire, uh, some Trinity Continuum stuff. Um, and I'm also their uh, programming coordinator for the Twitch channel over there. So. Ah, excellent. Right. Uh, with that introduction done, we're going to just do a quick little interesting gaming update. So, James, uh, what fun gaming have you been up to recently? Man, everything's super busy at the moment. Uh, Xbox, uh, new Xbox is coming out. I haven't got one. I'm not getting a PS5 yet because, you know, now is when we're going to see all the technical problems. That I think there's already a the technical releases. problem on the uh, Xbox, I've heard. So, you know. Yeah, the disk drives are uh, <laughs> kind of getting busted. So, um, you know, glad I haven't picked up a uh, an early one of those. Um, uh, Game-wise, uh, I've been playing World of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> the Shadowlands expansion is happening. So basically the Banshee Queen is sending us all into the afterlife uh, and we're going to duke it out between various interpretations of what happens when you die hmm. in Azeroth. So that sounds fun. Um, uh, I tried playing a PS5 launch title on my PC, and it was it was very pretty, but an absolute mess. Um, so uh, it turns out a seven-year-old PC is not equal to a new PS5. No. Um, cool. And I've been playing a game called Monster Camp, which is a sequel to Monster Prom. Uh, I've been hitting on witches and demons, and in the end, <laughs> uh, I went on a date with a robot instead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, are uh, we streaming that? <laughs> well, honestly, you you take you have a giggle, but it's got multiplayer, so I would heartily enjoy a session of that. Nice. That sounds um, that sounds it's like a darker days radio multiplayer streamed game ready to happen with some serious shit talking. Um, brilliant. Uh, anything else? Or was that it for for your gaming fun? Um, there's another one I've been playing, which is called Sakuna Rise and Ruin. It's a Metroidvania, so 2D exploration thing, but also a farming sim because you're a god of right. You're you're a god of fighting and of uh, like farming, and so you become more powerful the more rice you grow. And right. the, rice, the rice growing is meticulously dull. Um, Lovely. Uh, and yeah, that's that's been something. Uh, yeah, really, some, really something. I'm not sure quite how I feel about it. Like, it's very dull, but very compelling. And this is why James is our uh, computer games expert on Dark Days Radio. He <laughs> plays quite a plethora of interesting games. Uh, but then it's your day job, is computer game designing. So, you know, yeah. it's part of your job to play weird and wonderful games like oh, yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's market research, right? Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> just like my market research right now is... Toy soldiers and reading far too much about Warhammer. Anyway, um, right, uh, we're going to quickly pop over then to, uh, we're going to talk about some gaming news. 
so what is out? Um, oh, there's lots of things out that are coming out. Um, we've got coming out. I'm trying to think. Oh, there's a list of things. Obviously, there's been some good Kickstarters have finished, like uh, Ghost Hunters that did Gangbusters for Alex Path. Um, we've got Death on the Right for Warhammer. The Companion is out soon. Uh, 40k RPG core book, uh, uh, Wrath and Glory is out soon. I'm being sent my copy soon for writing on it. So very happy. It's so gorgeous. Anyway, um, I'm biased. Uh, uh, what other cool games are? I, I put gaming news. What is out? And I've completely forgotten what other cool stuff is yeah. um, out. Oh, Cyberpunk Red is out. You can buy it now. Um, obviously. To plug something, if you're interested in Cyberpunk Red, um, you can go over to Cyber Magazine and you can find my interview with Mike Pondsmith in issue six. Uh, good luck trying to find a print copy. They're all gone. So you just have to put up with a PDF. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything um, else that's out? Yes. If you haven't checked out uh, the earplay for Wraith the Oblivion, the Orpheus oh, device. Yeah. You definitely need to. It is I, anything Orpheus related or Wraith. I I do love. So I'm I love this earplay so much. Wicked. That's a pretty good one. And then um, yeah, also because it's game news. There's a lot of news right now with uh, the changeover of uh, IP development and publishing with relation to World of Darkness. So there's some new arrangements going on. Uh, where a lot more of the in-house, a lot more development of the core books is going in-house, or, or let's just say significant books in-house now for World of Darkness at Paradox. Um, and they're teaming up with uh, Renegade Games Studio uh, to publish books, and they in turn will be publishing more supplement books. Uh, Onyx Path is still in the picture, which is great. Uh, again, we're biased on that, given that Crystal obviously has written on Onyx Path <laughs> books for Vampire. I have written on a on a on a Vampire Fifth Edition book as well for Onyx Path, so we're completely biased on that point. But um, you know, Renegade Game Studio has got other things uh, in the in the pipeline, like the Power Rangers RPG, which is Fifth Edition powered. They also do a lot of publishing of board games. And they're also involved with the publishing of stuff for Hunters. Is it Hunters Entertainment? Yep. No, I can't. Remember. Yeah. So that's like kids on bikes and other things. I think that also has some impact now on the Werewolf Fifth Edition uh, core book. As so, that's now mostly going back in house. I'm sure it's not going to affect who the writers are on that so much. More just, it, it's more of a logistics thing, um, I imagine. It's, you know, this happens. It just means hopefully we get more books sooner. And speaking about uh, books upcoming, we, of course, are waiting for the, the massive freebie of the Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition Companion, which is going to yep. have, what, Ravnos, Zimache, uh Salubri, tons yep. of new rules, guides, stuff, things. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's going to be... I mean, I'm excited to see it because... I really like the way that disciplines work in V5. Like, you know, uh, Serpentis is actually just protein with like some amalgams with Dominate. And so it'll be really interesting to see how uh, Vicissitude is more than likely it's going to be protein uh, amalgams and stuff like that. Uh, because remember, kids, disciplines don't exist. 
They don't exist. They're just constructs for a game. Vampires don't talk about disciplines. They don't go, oh, I'm going to use my celerity power. They don't say that. They just do stuff and they talk about it. But they just happen to. It's just a nice Venn diagram, okay? Anyway, that's a rant done. Uh, We will continue with the main topic now, which we'll shoot over to, which is talking about Scarred Lands and the Kickstarter, Dead Man's Rust. All right, so Travis, why don't we start back up at um, who you are <laughs> and how you got into to gaming and stuff like that? Sure. Um, so um, I initially got into gaming. I was oh, probably about five years old. I grew up in a town called Mauston, Wisconsin, where there was nothing to do. But my older brother was friends with a kid who uh, went to Gen Con, and so this was probably 1984. So I'd have been about five. And I uh, came back with Dungeons and Dragons. And um, because I was a younger brother and wanted to be involved with what my older brother was doing, I sat in on their game and uh, sort of learned how to play, kind of. Um, I'm sure I didn't really understand what was going on, but I was hooked and started uh, a lifelong sort of love affair with tabletop role-playing games. Um, and then it was mostly D&D, and I think I played a little bit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness from Palladium. Um, that was pretty much it until I moved to Rockford, Illinois, when I was in my teens. And uh, I went into the new school, and there was this McDonald's across the street there, and saw a kid hanging out reading this purple book uh, called Mage of the Ascension. I asked him what it was about. He broke down the setting for me, and I just I fell in love with that and submitted some uh, writing submissions to you know Original White Wolf, which hopefully have been destroyed. Uh, at this point. I'm sure they weren't very good. Um, but it did spark a desire in me to sort of create my own setting. So once the open game license came out, I for third edition, I built an urban fantasy setting called Contagion. And in that setting, we actually used the uh, a lot of the monsters from Creature Collection as the basis for uh, our monsters in terms of the mechanics. So that's kind of how my a relationship with Scarlands got started as well. And uh, I self-published for over a decade before I took a hiatus from the business and uh, started working in independent film. But when that proved to be uh, heartbreaking and horrible, um, I went back to tabletop role-playing games uh, where I uh, found some uh, pretty good success on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be on some pretty... Uh, good projects with great people that performed very well. And I think that kind of got my foot in the door to uh, work at, on Scarlands as the line developer. Awesome. Um, so can you tell us a, a little bit about um, uh, what Scarlands is if someone has never heard of this setting before? Sure. Um, my My real brief pitch for it is if you take heavy metal magazine and slam it into a player's handbook, you have Scarred Lands. It is um, a uh, dialed up to 11 adrenaline-fueled post-apocalyptic fantasy world, Um, much like Greek mythology, which uh, is somewhat of an inspiration for it. um, There was a war between the gods and the titans uh, in in the world of Scarn, the world of Scarred Lands, um, where it differs 
is this war took place within living memory on the ground on the planet. So if you are a member of, you know, it ended 150 years ago. So if you're a member of a long-lived race, like an elf or a dwarf, you may have fought shoulder to shoulder with gods against Titans in your youth. Um, if you're a, a shorter-lived race, like a human or something like that, you may have uh, like a direct ancestor, you know, a great grandparent that fought in this Titans war. You may be, uh, you may have a family heirloom that was passed on that was used in battle in the Titans war. You know, this is great grandpa Joe's sword, and he helped stab the Titan churn with it. Um, things like that. So it's uh, this is a very real event that happened um, that has shaped things culturally and physically uh, across the across the world. Um, there was a grand empire that spanned one end of Gelspad to the other, which is the the primary continent that uh, the Scarlands Players Guide takes place on. Um, and that empire fell as a result of the Titans War, and in its place, several new uh, Nations and city-states have have cropped up. Not all of them are necessarily heroic or good places. Um, the geography was altered because the Titans were tied inherently or are tied inherently to the world. They can't be killed. Uh, they can be dismembered. They can be disemboweled. They can be detained. Um, they can be imprisoned, but they cannot be killed. So um, the Titan Kadum, the Mar Mountain Shaker, um, had his heart ripped out, was bound in chains, and thrown into the ocean to the east of the uh, of the continent. Um, that ocean is now called the Blood Sea because he still lies writhing in his chains, bleeding from his open chest, so much so that it has turned the entire ocean to blood. Um, the uh, Hornsaw Forest, which is a central location for Dead Man's Rust, was once called the Broadreach Forest, and it was this beautiful, verdant, um, lively place filled with sweet uh, and uh, good unicorns. And when the Titan Mormo was rent to pieces there, uh, her blood rained down and seeped into the soil and, and up into the foliage and twisted everything, uh, even mutated our beautiful, sweet unicorns into what are now known as the Hornsaw Unicorns. Uh, because aside from their um, massive, gross musculature, like, you know, imagine a Clydesdale pumped full of growth hormone, um, they also ha now have a serrated horn um, that they like to violently stab into their enemies or friends or any creature that sort of wanders into their territory. Um, so that's the setting. It's, it's, it, it is a place that is twisted. It is damaged it is scarred by this war and uh, much of it is out to kill you and your job as the heroes um you know it's it's uh, referred to as a grim bright setting everything's terrible but there is hope and that hope falls to the heroes the player characters um you can make it better if you if you just uh you know do the right things and uh and are willing to take up the quest uh, you can make things a little better. Maybe you can do it on a worldwide scale, or maybe you can just make things better near your little village. But uh, you do have the opportunity to affect the world. <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty dope. Um, so like I said, it's probably my favorite uh, Dungeons and Dragons setting, um, and was long before I ever uh, got the opportunity to work on it. It's really a dream come true. 
That's awesome. Uh, I, I really like, I really enjoyed the setting. Um, I've run it a couple of times for conventions, played in it a couple of times for conventions. Um, and, uh, it's very, very different from your classical D and D campaign. Yes. Um, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In a number of fashions, uh, I think, um, you know, the scope, um, can be different uh when you get oftentimes in these classical D, D campaigns when you get into things that are um sort of world spanning it becomes or can easily fall into the trap of uh and our characters were there to watch the you know the draw ranger with two swords and his pet panther take care of the problem um that's not going to happen in Scarlands. Nobody's coming to save you. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> no, nobody's going to show up and pull your fat out of the fire. Um, it, it's up if it is to be. It is up to me. Is kind of another uh, uh, sort of theme. Um, there are gods wandering about. Um, sometimes even literally still showing up on the surface of the world. Uh, but they're usually not there to to be particularly helpful. They have their own agendas. Um, so yeah, it really it really falls to the players to um, make the world they want it to be, or to accept the world as it is and find the best way to turn it to their advantage. Yeah, um, James, did you want to take the next question? Yeah, what does um, what does Scarlands do that D and D doesn't? Um, oh, well, I mean, I, I would say uh, you know, it's I think there's a level of intensity that it presents, maybe that. Uh, that you don't necessarily find in your standard D&D settings. When you sit down and, um, you know, the, the the experience you have at the table when you're picking up your dice and looking at your character sheet and mitigating your combats is going to be uh, very much a D&D 5th edition experience. It runs on the same engine. None of that's different. But where Scarredlands, I think, sings is it has this rich world that it then both through like the character peoples, the playable species and the class choices really embeds you in that story. Um, the, uh, your starting character in Scarlands is going to be a little bit tougher than your starting character in most D and D settings, uh, because they live in a world that's horrible and trying to kill them. So they're, you know, they would have to be to survive. Um, but also, (laughs) right. (laughs) But also the character, the choices of the character classes, while they can be picked up and dropped in pretty much anywhere, are really evocative and flavorful for the setting. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, because there's this conflict between the, the gods and the titans, and because the gods are these creatures who thrive on the worship of mortals, whereas the titans are forces of nature, that is reflected in your character choices through clerics being connected to the gods where druids are connected to the titans. And that creates some sort of, uh, you know, conflicts there, potentially very severe ones. Uh, There is one druid named Denev, the earth mother, who's, uh, uh, you know, a similar theme to like a Gaia type of, 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 of Titan. Um, She sided with the gods during the divine war. So her, Druids are sort of tolerated, even in places they're not necessarily liked. Um, but you're not going to just immediately be attacked for being a titan who worships, uh, or being a druid who worships Deneb. In fact, uh, many druids who 
revere other Titans pose as worshipers of Denev for that very reason. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of one way that it, it sort of latches your concept directly into the world. A lot of the fighter subclasses that you'll see in, in the Skylines material um, are tied to uh, a location, right? So whether or not you're necessarily there now, you may have gone to a place to get a certain amount of training. Uh, you know, there are these, um, there's a, a region called the uh, Derekin that is home to um, war colleges and they basically just train soldiers and those soldiers can come in from other nations, learn the art of Warcraft and then go home. Um, Derekin doesn't particularly care what you do after you finish as long as you have, you know, done the training and, and paid your dues to go to the college, you know, you know they'll, they'll, they'll train whoever. So you have fighter subclasses that spring up from this training. Um, you know, you have uh, uh, rangers that are tied very much because we have such rich uh, environments that are a result of the Titans War. You have rangers that spring up that specialize in these environments. Um, particu I'm particularly excited uh, that in this month's installment that's coming out at the end of the month of Yagman's Guide to Gelsbad, uh, we will be introducing the Hornsaw Sentinel, which is a ranger who has come of the belief that um, the Hornsaw Forest, despite its flaws now in its current state, is the way it's meant to be. And so they want to protect it um, in its current form, which causes some some uh, conflict with maybe some of the other heroic characters who want to see it restored to the Broadreach Horizon to its to a more pristine, uh, taint-free version the Hornsaw Sentinel says, nah, it's good the way it is. Leave it alone. Um, and they gain one of those lovely uh, Hornsaw unicorns as an animal companion. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's a very different feel um, than, say, a Beastmaster. You know, yeah. Running around with a bear. Um, oh. So I can get a unicorn as a companion? A unicorn oh, with a serrated my. horn, yeah. I mean, uh, who doesn't like a murder unicorn? Right, exactly. <laughs> Whoever's on the pointy end of it, I think. But uh... <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. It's not fun to be on the receiving end of of a, of a gore from all of those. Cool. Well, yeah. Now that we've got a bit of an idea of uh, what Skylands is, I guess it's a good point to say. So, um, what is this uh, this Kickstarter for? So yeah, we're uh, we're doing a Kickstarter for Dead Man's Rust, which is a um, mega campaign set in the Skyrlands uh, takes place in central Galspad um, and takes the characters from levels one to ten. Uh, there's some material that will go, you know, that will will lay the groundwork for going a little bit beyond that as well. But the main arc of the of the story goes from levels one to ten. So you can start a brand new troop and uh, you know get in on the ground floor and take your characters on this epic adventure throughout it. Uh, there are also a number of on-ramps written into the campaign that bring that allow you to bring in characters that are already experienced. So say you've already been playing through some of the other adventures that are out there and you want to uh, move your campaign over into this campaign. Uh, there's guidelines for merging them in and for places where they can, where you can narratively bring in an experienced group as well. Um, so it's a lot of it's it's there's a lot of utility there in that in that sense. Um, in terms of like uh, one of the things I always uh, struggle with is like making sure everyone's on the hook, right? Sometimes, sometimes you have to 
work real hard to shoehorn people together. So having those inroads sounds pretty dang useful. Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the things that we tried to build it with. Um, obviously, you know, we're telling this big epic tale in this big epic world. So we need to make sure we're hitting our story beats 100%. But uh, one of the things that I really wanted to focus on and we really uh, hammered on with the writers was um, treating it as something where everything has a dozen hooks, um, making it a sandbox, making it a toolbox that you can pick up as the DM and uh, grab elements from. And, and no matter who your player group is, there's something in there to grab them and sort of draw them into what's happening. Um, I was extremely impressed with Storm King's Thunder for 5th edition uh, from Wizards. And that was kind of our guiding star in terms of utility as a sandbox. I wanted a game that you could... Theoretically, you can pick up Dead Man's Rust and just run using the information it gives you about the set, the locations in it um, and never actually touch the main plot. Um, but you'd be robbing yourself of a pretty awesome story, in my opinion, but it's not everybody's cup of tea, you know. Um, the, uh, the central premise, uh, if you're approaching this from level one, it begins at the Night of Chronicles in the city of Leone. And... Leone is the capital of the Manticora Confederacy. The Manticora are a group of people. Um, as you might imagine, uh, when the Divine War happened, the Titans War, you had some peoples who joined the sides of the gods and some people who joined the side of the Titans. Um, the Manticora were a divine species. They were on the side of the gods. But they were the personal hunting group of Vangel the Ravager, the chaotic evil god of destruction and, and and death like murder death not like natural not like dying peacefully in your bed type of death um and so they got a really bad reputation uh, as just being these uh, murderous monstrous creatures because they were um you know the the while they were in the war they were you know serving vangel very loyally and just destroying everything they got in their path so at the end of the war when Vangel sort of fucked off back to his personal uh, chunk of the abyss, um, they all kind of said, well, we don't want to do that anymore. We served this God. He's abandoned us, given us nothing for our service, except for a bad reputation. So let's look at what else life has to offer. And they decided, well, we're going to try to build ourselves a culture. Uh, they built a confederacy of, of tribes that is the Manticore Confederacy. They built a city um, that specializes in trade, and they grew a great fondness for education to the point that they built a one of the largest bard colleges on the continent um, and a library. They call it the Hunter's Library, which is kind of half library, half zoo, where they collect lore from across the continent, but also living specimens of various creatures, whether naturally occurring or titan spawn creatures that you can go in and, and observe in sort of these constructed habitats. Um, so it's a really cool, uh, really cool place um, just to go wander around and, and get a taste of kind of what the Scarred Lands is like in a controlled environment. Um, but also they're, they're huge fans of holidays and festivals. Um, so they have this uh, festival called the Night of Chronicles where the bards all get together and tell tales and have contests and things like that. And the adventure begins when your first level party, who's attending the Night of Chronicles, uh, comes across this elderly dwarven bard 
um, who is from the Broadreach Forest. He was a dwarf. He was a Broadreach dwarf from before the uh, corruption took place, but has not been home since before that happened. He went and traveled and served during the Divine War, and then just never went home because, as far as he was concerned, home was gone. And but now that he's uh, now that you know the the Broadreach Horizon, this sort of band of um, of the northern part of the forest is slowly being healed uh, through the effort of the Broadreach Elves and the Broadreach Dwarves. Uh, Dradaki, the, the the bard you find, uh, would like to go home and spend his final years there. And so it starts off as kind of this simple, let's help this old guy get home, uh, escort quest. Um, but on the way there, you start to discover that there are many awful and somewhat mysterious things going on throughout the uh, the Hornsaw Forest, certainly, but also just the edges of the Broadreach Horizon, involving the undead and um, involving this sort of new magical plague that is rising up that only affects... Uh, it affects anyone who's like a construct. So people who are... who uh, You know, golems could be affected by it. Um, anything that... that, that, that is the construct creature type could conceivably uh, be affected by the illness, though everyone can, can can contract it and pass it along. But this creates a particular problem for one of the playable species called the Hollow Legionnaires, who are effectively constructs. Um, they are the souls of warriors who uh, fell nobly in battle or perhaps even died of old age, but weren't quite ready to give up the ghost. Um, they are drawn into these spires that sit in the gleaming valley which is another one of the areas that this continent or this campaign covers and their souls are mystically bound to armor um and they're sort of reborn and given a new lease on life they don't really know who they were before most of them um they have at best swiss cheese brain if you've ever watched quantum leap um they have a vague idea of who they were um but this gives them a new lease on life and they're used to being these hardy, resilient, you know, uh, pseudo-living creatures that don't quite have to worry about things like disease as much as everyone else does. And so, as this disease rises, seemingly tied to the undead that are that are uh, also increasing their activity uh, throughout this region of Gelsbad, um, the heroes start to, you know, become compelled to figure out why and how. And the answers to that uh, takes them on a series of quests throughout all of Central Galspad, and ultimately pits them against the Necromancers of Glivetotel, who are probably the some of the most awful villains in fantasy media. I don't mind saying they're really nasty, nasty customers. Um, Dang. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're just uh, they're just monstrous. They're they. The city of Glivetotel is built on top of a 1,500-foot-high mesa um, that was once a, a temple to some forgotten god. And um, the necromancers of Glivetotel went there when they were ex exiled from the city of Hollowfaust. Now, Hollowfaust, um, another city of necromancers, uh, they're kind of what you would call the good necromancers of the setting. Uh, they employ necromancy as a means of public works. So um, street sweepers are animated dead. Um, any sort of like menial labor is done by, by zombies and skeletons. Uh, their military is largely made of undead. 
but these undead are not particularly, uh, you know, as undead go, not particularly gruesome and not particularly mistreated, though they are compelled into service. Glivetatel um, makes it a point to make their undead as just repulsive and repugnant and monstrous as possible. Uh, there's sort of an artistic competition among necromancers to see who can kind of make the most disgusting creature. Um, but they treat the living members of the city. Uh, the dead are not there for the benefit of the living. It's the other way around. They treat the living members of their city as basically a cash crop. Um, you know, you're here to grow big enough and strong enough that when I kill you and reanimate you, it'll be worth my time to do so. Um, so <laughs> it's a very different perspective on what and death entails and and the and the way the people should be treated. Um, Glivetatel has such wonderful things like uh, extreme displays of emotion are illegal um, for anyone who's not a wizard. So if you're a member of the peasantry and you get particularly happy about something uh, and a wizard sees you do it, they may uh, punish you. And one of the punishments is a process called sharding, where they peel off part of your memory through removing a portion of your soul and then place it inside of an undead, which has a twofold effect. One, it makes the undead slightly more competent at whatever it is it does, um, because having that little spark of creativity and little spark of originality makes it better at its assigned task. Uh, the other is, of course, like it, you know, you have a part of your soul ripped out. So the, the person who, who committed the crime, quote unquote, um, suffers as they lose memories and, and, and feel their soul missing this, you know, this emptiness that they can never quite fill. Um, so, you know, it's a fun vacation spot, nice place to take kids. And uh, that is kind of where we send the adventurers ultimately uh, to, to go face the big bad uh, in, this, in this campaign, which is super exciting to me because um, it, yeah, it, it presents a place that you have to get into, um, but kicking in the door and just running in to try to take the stuff probably ain't going to work out too well for you. Um, um, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, yeah, excited. it sounds... Wow, I mean, uh, I said I said the setting sounds intense, and now I'm like, gosh, what do I, where do I go from intense? But uh, yeah, I, I always love um, some, like, Undead and stuff is class, like, for me, that's that's classic, like, uh, classic territory fantasy. Like, I, I love some uh, antagonists like that. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to be uh, keeping an eye on this. Um, Crystal, you had some questions that you wanted to ask. I do. So you do have some like starting points for getting into Dead Man's Rest, but as a whole, um, where does it fit within the Scarlands universe? Um, so it takes place like geographically it is in the South central Galspad. So really right in the middle of this continent that we've been talking about. And the, there are sort of four main geographical touchstones. Um, five, I guess, if you count Leone, you start off in Leone, uh, you venture down into, uh, the Broadreach horizon, which is this area. We spoke of the Broadreach forest before, um, the elves who were indigenous to that land, uh, when Mormo's taint rose, most of those elves um, did a mass ritual where they were able to sort of subsume their spirits into the, the forest itself in an attempt to heal it. And after a century or so, they were able to pull a strip of the northern forest, 
back to kind of its pristine original condition. Most of the forest is still tainted, but they have this little spot that they now call the Broadreach Horizon. Um, within the Broadreach Horizon, you have, I think it's 29 uh, clans of Broadreach Elf, uh, plus the Broadreach Dwarves. And each of these clans has a unique personality, a unique culture, um, and we cover all of them in Dead Man's Rust. So as you're moving around and checking out things and uh, investigating and going side quest to side quest, you have the opportunity to interact with all of these different elven clans and, and see how they're reacting to not only the events of the campaign, but sort of the state of the world um, and, and how that's impacted their worldviews and impacted their goals. Uh, and so touching right on that is the Hornsaw Forest, which we discussed a bit before. Um, and there are no, numerous creatures and factions and, and beings running around in there that you will interact with throughout the campaign. Um, and then the city of Glibidatel, which we spoke of. Um, and then the last major location that's in there is the Gleaming Valley, which is the home of the Hollow Legionnaires. Um, and how that came about uh, how it was constructed is a great story, and, and the effects that this campaign have it on it are a wonderful story because this plague makes its way back there. You know, um, there's a couple different ways it might, and uh, the players get to be directly involved with not only how the plague gets there, but trying to resolve it and save these people. Um, and the Gleaming Valley. So, to give you a little bit of uh, <clears throat> a little bit more lore story time, um, as I mentioned, the Manticora were servants of Vangle, the Ravager. Um, the Hollow Knights were a group of people that were servants of Corian. Um, and Corian's kind of the, uh, you know, what you think of when you think of a paladin, right? He's the, the very, the good, um, you know, righteous, justice-dealing god. And when the Divine War started, he took a bunch of his mortal followers, uh, who were the most devout, and he placed their souls inside of these, this magical armor that he had forged himself that is resistant to all damage spells under sixth level can't even affect it. Um, it's super tough, badass armor. And he made these knights as, you know, his personal, um, guard. And they ran around throughout the duration of the war fighting. And he had, when he took their souls and put them in this armor, he had put their bodies in suspended animation along with those of, the, of their families and said, when this is all done, I'll put you back in your bodies, and you'll have your reward. The Hollow Knights showed such prowess on the battlefield that the god Vangle became jealous of them. And so in sort of a tantrum, he went to the crypt where their bodies were being preserved and just dismembered all of them, uh, not only the Hollow Knights, but their families. And so when the war was over and Corian came back and said, hey, let's give you your reward, and they all walk in to the temple, they found, you know, Every, everybody was dead. There was nothing he could do about it. So um, in in lieu of putting them back in their bodies, he just said, well, I'm going to give you this land, the Gleaming Valley. It's kind of the one part of Galspad that was never touched during the Titans' War. Right? So it's it's all this pristine, beautiful, farmable land. And he said, you can have this, and you can make a new, a new life, and I'm sorry. And then he fucked off back to whatever realm he's from. And so the Hollow Knights started... Um, they had been fighting for so long and outside of the human body for so long, they kind of forgot what it was like to just not be warriors. Um, so they sort of stumbled around it, trying to make a culture for a few decades and then ultimately started bringing in, uh, you know, uh, living mortal creatures from around the area and inviting them to come live at the, in the Gleaming Valley. And they got 
a nation sort of kickstarted and figured out how this was going to work. And then we're able to start looking, reflecting a little bit inward. And in that reflection, they realized that the, the one thing they were missing was the ability to uh, carry on a legacy, to procreate, to, to grow. And so uh, using all sorts of magics, including the magic that forged them, but also other secrets that are, remain mysterious to this day, um, they created these five spires that surround the, the Gleaming Valley that draw these the souls that become the Hollow Legionnaires in. So the Hollow Legionnaires are sort of their uh, surrogate children, I guess, to, to, to a degree, right? Um, and so we get to explore that. We get to explore that place. We get to learn about the lore of that place. We get to see how their culture works. And then because this is such kind of a comparatively wholesome idea, right, like these... These knights who lost everything, making a fresh start and finding a new hope in, in this in this broken world. Um, so, because that's such a sweet idea, naturally I had to put it directly in harm's way uh, as, as a part of the campaign. So, um, the survival of Glivadatel very much falls on the shoulder, or not of Glivadatel, I'm sorry, of, of the Gleaming Valley, uh, very much falls directly on the shoulders of the players at, at numerous points in the campaign. Well, you know what they say: you got to kill your darlings. <laughs> as a writer <laughs> right well the hope would, the hope would be that the that the heroes come in and save the darlings but yeah well yeah that is the hope but yeah no i would i would do the exact same thing um with stuff like that yeah if you um, have a kitten or a puppy you tie it to the train tracks and tell the players that they better hurry up and, and get it free right um, and then you put same. some urgency in the writing <laughs> <laughs> right same principle <laughs> That's another way that All I guess right. that Scarlands is different than D and D. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you you take the the wholesome aspects and make it in danger, and hope that plays on the the hope punk aspect of of the players wanting it to be better. Right. Exactly. Um, give them something to fight for, a reason to um, you know because. Oftentimes, I think D and D can fall into the trope of, um, you know, we're off to get treasure and and amass coin, um, and that's not really the the reasoning of this campaign, you know. Um, and it's not. It's also not about like we have to stop the world from being destroyed. The it's more immediate. It's we have to stop these people's world from being destroyed, you know. The rest of Skarn is going to be fine one way or the other, but this whole group of people who are thriving um, are in danger. You know. So it's community building. To a degree, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you answered most of those. Is there any other parts of uh, Dead Man's Rust that expand upon different parts of Skarlands? Uh, yeah. So we introduce uh, a couple of new playable species. Um, there's a group called the Wretched, which are sort of a side effect. They come about through a side effect of um, this sharding that they do in Glovedotel. Um, if enough soul shards are placed into an undead, uh, that undead can gain full sort of awareness. And when that happens, they have a process by which they can then share that awareness by awakening latent soul pieces within other undead um so they quickly sort of spread and glivadotel because it's run by horrible people um uses these people as forced labor but many of them escape 
and so at 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 the start of the campaign, uh, you the, there are some of them that are freed and out and about in the world that you might run into, or you can even start off playing one. Um, and they're sort of they're 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 fun because it's a, it's a sentient undead. Depending on what your sub race is, uh, depends on what your dietary needs are. Uh, so you have uh, marrow feasters, gore grinders, and I think blood blood drinkers are the third ones, but I can't remember the name of the third one off the top of my head, but um, they are what they sound like. The marrow feasters eat eat the bones of humanoids to survive. The gore, gore grinders eat the um, tissues and, and flesh of, of the living, or of the recently deceased to survive. And then the third subrace drinks blood to live. Um, you know, fun stuff. Uh, and then you have the moral questions that come along with that, like it's almost. It, it, I was thinking about it earlier today. It's it's reminiscent of playing like a sh- like a Shadowrun ghoul, right? That's that's still uh, lucid. Like, yeah, I've got HMHVV, but I can still be, you know, a, a good person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a wretched, but I can still be a paladin. Uh, that kind of approach to it, which I think is kind of uh, kind of fun. Um, we also introduce um, the Broadreach Elves as playable. Um, so they're very similar to the Ganja elves, which are kind of the Wood Elf of Scarredlands, but they have uh, a, a major difference in that they're traumatized by that century they spent uh, spiritually bound to the Hornsaw Forest trying to cleanse it. So unlike other elves who just go into a trance and then they're fine uh, during their rest, uh, the Broadreach elves have nightmares throughout their entire trance where they relive the terror of being trapped in the woods. Um, and that can uh, have some effects on you the following day, depending on, on what the dice do to you. Uh, so it's a fun little quirk that, add, that adds in some dimension and, and places them firmly within the, within the world. Um, there are a couple of new subclass options uh, I'm a big fan of. We have a Rage Witch Barbarian who uh, learns to channel their anger into magical energy to cast spells so they can, like, cast spells while raging and eventually you can maintain concentration on spells while they're raging um which makes them just horrifying in combat um and then we have uh we introduced a new wizard school called the animator that uh, specializes in making all sorts of undead and configuring them in new ways and having fun stuff going on with that um yeah so and more besides so there's a lot of options uh, that you can dive into to just say, oh, I want to play this thing. And they're not, again, they're not necessarily tied to the campaign itself. So you might, you know, say, oh, I want to play a, a necromancer who has studied this this school, um, this animator school, but, you know, we're just going to be hanging out in, uh, you know, in the Gleaming Valley. And that's totally, totally workable. And you ignore kind of the main plot, you know, or you say, well, the main plot resolved and this is how it resolved. Or maybe the main plot's in the mail. Maybe you use it as a, as a basis for just a regular old, um, we're going to run around and, and amass coin through our adventuring and then dovetail into the campaign. There's a lot of different ways to tackle it. It's, it's really fun. It's really well assembled. And I cannot speak highly enough of the authors that we had involved uh, to, to make that happen. Um, I, was per- I was in a perpetual state of of um pleasant shock <laughs> as as the drafts were rolling in as to how they took the seeds of the ideas that i threw out there in the outline and, and really blossomed it into this very vibrant living world um 
you know, it has so many options and so many things that the, the directions that the party can take, and all of them are meaningful. So it's it's really cool to see that come together uh, in 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 such a such a way that I think will be so enjoyable at the table. You know? This uh, Slurry Student Vault is the community content program for Scarlands. Can you tell us about the um, Frostlands of Fen uh, Fenrilic? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in addition to the standard publishing uh, that um, you know we're doing for Scarlands, um, uh, set in Gelsbad, you know, such as Dead Man's Rest. Uh, we also have the Slurishian Vault, which is kind of, was a community content program, basically analogous to the way that uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild lets you make content for Dungeons and Dragons that uses their intellectual property. Um, the Slurishian Vault allows you to make content for Scarred Lands that allows you to use the Scarred Lands intellectual property. So if you wanted to build a new uh, race, class, spell, um, adventure, what have you, set in Gelsbad, you can do that. Uh, this last month, we also we have expanded what is available for development on the Solution Vault by releasing the Frostlands of Fenrilic, which is a um, campaign guide for, or a setting guide, I should say, for the northern continent of Fenrilic, um, this sort of isolated uh, frozen tundra that has a very different feel uh, to the rest of the Scarred Lands in the sense that it's... it's um, much more survival oriented there everything everyone is very cut off there are a lot of paranoia inducing creatures in it uh to give you kind of like a feel like the thing or something along those lines um there's in fact a, a type of ooze that can uh basically freezes a person and keeps them in suspended animation as it ejects off a copy of itself that looks exactly like that person and behaves like that person has that person's memories um so uh you know fun place um and the populations there are very small they're all uh largely uh kept away from one another and there's this under you know underground uh network of caves and tunnels that have been hinted at in previous editions but never really explored uh we really get into um planting the seeds for how you as a creator might explore that further uh, including having an adventure that introduces travel uh, into that region in, uh, for the first time, basically. And so all these components are there. So you can pick up Frostlands of Fenrilic um, and just use it as you, the setting you're going to run your game in, right? You can be like, I'm going to run this Arctic nightmare um, scenario, and we're going to run, uh, we're going to set our game in Fenrilic. It's perfectly serviceable. It's got everything you need. Uh, but it's also constructed in such a way that it has these hooks um, for community content creators specifically to flesh out the world. Uh, we're inviting the community to come and say, well, you know, here's this list of um, villages, but all you really have is their population and their main export. Why don't, you know, why don't you do a source book for this village and you flesh it out and show us what you think would be there? Um, you know, we have all these mountain ranges on the map and none of them have names. Uh, what's there? What's it called? knock yourself out it's you know it's there for the community uh to use this kind of this toolkit uh to develop out and flesh out the world and create their own things that are distinct from the average dnd experience but also distinct from the rest of the scarred lands um so you, you can have all that rich lore in the background but not have it necessarily have to manifest directly in your product 
you can throw in sort of teases and, and Easter eggs. Or, you know, some of it you can, you know, outright ignore the existing lore and just have this sort of blank slate to paint on. Um, so it's a very exciting project for me because I, you know, especially because, you know, in a lot of ways my root is in the community content space. So uh, being able to sort of, I guess, expand <laughs> that space, you know, through introducing this new setting has really been a privilege. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited to see what people think of it. Um, so far as we've run games, we've got a lot of like actual plays where we've run games in the setting um, that have been going very well, and people seem to be responding very strongly uh, in favor of, uh, which has been great to see. Um, and it is another, it is definitely, I would say, another flavor of um, D&D that's distinct from kind of your, your standard Forgotten Realms fare. Very cool, yeah. Like a, yeah, like an open, like an community source, like content. It's kind of wild. That's a, a heck of a thing. Um, because uh, me coming from uh, vid, did uh, say video game development. Um, yeah, you, you're always a little bit. We're always a bit cautious about open uh community created content because you have to be, like, you're kind of responsible for it. But I guess this is um this you could have some really new really interesting things uh filling in that space absolutely uh, yeah you can and and you know the there's always the potential of something to be worked into the existing you know canon of the setting um but you also don't need to feel bound by it so much in Fenrir because so much of it is left you know with so few hooks there's you have a lot more of a range to play with um which i think is a, a great place to foster some new ideas and hopefully bring some new voices um, over to the Solution Vault and, and see what their perspectives might be, right? Um, yeah. You know, you don't have to do, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, in answering like three simple questions, I rambled on for like an hour. Um, <laughs> the lore of Scarred Lands can be dense. You don't need to memorize it or you know steep yourself deeply in it i don't think to enjoy the skylands experience but you can and it can get very thick in a setting like fenrir like you have just the spice of that lore and so much of that lore isn't necessarily relevant to the setting right so you can um you can feel free to create kind of unbound up there and not worry about is this going to bump into some established obscura of lore um that's going to make my product not as appealing to the audience. Yeah. You're not going to run into that, that one person who's read all the books and goes, actually, I think you'll find this situation can't happen because a book said this thing. You've got that, that space to create in. Yeah. Right. That's, that's real cool. Yeah. I'm, and, that, and that's kind of my favorite place um, always has been both as a DM and as a creator is looking for those gaps and finding cool things to put in them. Nice. Um, so uh, one thing, one thing I noticed on um, Drive Through RPG is I saw there was a uh, there was like a free um, a free adventure, uh, Gauntlets of Sparagos. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, you can get Gauntlet of Sparagos for free um, on Drive Through RPG. Uh, you can also, I think, get it for free on Fantasy Grounds, and you can definitely get it for free at Astral Tabletop. Um, so a couple different ways you can. Uh, Hop in and give Scarred Lands a test drive. And it's a cool adventure. It's a lot of fun. It's set in the southwest of Gelsbad. So 
probably about 1500 miles or so away from the events of Dead Man's Rust. Um, it's set on an area, a region called the Fangs Fall Peninsula. So named because it sits on the Fangs Fall Mountain Range. Fangs Fall Mountain Range are the teeth of the Titan Gorak, who was the Titan of gluttony and hunger. And he had his teeth ripped out during the Titans War. And where they landed became a mountain range. So that's pretty neat. Um, and that's that's where uh, Gauntlet Asparagus takes place is in that region. And uh, the the sort of kickoff mission of this is there's an area uh, called the Chasm of Flies that you're adventuring to um, to retrieve some uh, magical items that are supposedly down there. And as you visit the Chasm of Flies and start following through the course of the adventure, you find out that this is a much different place than you may have initially intended, tied a little bit more tightly to the Titans' War than you might have originally known. And it sort of kicks off this sequence of events that puts your characters um, in the direct path of a group that's trying to resurrect a Titan. So it's, it's, a, it's a very... It's a very flavorful tale. It's a very indicative of the kind of story that um, it, it's kind of the standard Scarredland story, right? You have the big gun that you're bringing on stage of the Titans, so why not make that gun go off, and um, you know, or at least threaten to have that gun go off, and then leave it up to the players to stop it. Um, it's a very cool adventure. The the follow-ups to it are uh, the Dagger of Spiragos and Ring of Spiragos. Um, which are also for sale at DriveThruRPG. Uh, but yeah, uh, you can check it out for free. Uh, you can play through it with uh, standard D&D characters. Again, you're going to be a little weaker than the standard starting Scarredlands character. Um, but the GM could also, you know, give you... If they if the GM gives you like an extra, you know, proficiency or two, things like that to level the playing field, that would that would help quite a bit, you know. So um, it's a good way to explore and check out the Scarred Lands at like no risk. Yeah, and then if they if they like that, then they should uh, they should keep their eyes on the on the Kickstarter. Absolutely, yeah. If you're just, I, I keep running into people. It's it's so strange for me perspective wise because I was a big fan of Scarred Lands when it first came out, but I mean that was 20 years ago, right? So um, there's a whole generation of gamers out there who never heard of it before. And the Dead Man's Rust Kickstarter is a great opportunity to hop on because, you know, there will be not only can you get this campaign book, um, but there's going to be all sorts of add-ons for getting the other books in the, that are available for 5th edition for Scarlands and, you know, saving yourself a little bit of money while you're doing it. So um, it's really the perfect opportunity. If you've been hearing people talk about Scarlands or even if this podcast is the first time you hear of it, um, the Dead Man's Rust Kickstarter gives you a great on-ramp for the setting, too. Uh, and you save a few bucks and, and get a wealth of materials that will that will introduce you to the world. Fantastic. I'm I'm looking forward to the Kickstarter. I'm uh, uh, I really like the Scarred Lands setting and the fact that it's adding so much more to it um, is very, very uh, cool for me to be able to see that happening. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And I'm, I, I, I'm uh, optimistic and 
thrilled and and uh, giddy about what people are going to say and how they're going to feel when they see the art that we've got for this book and when they when they hear the stories that we've got for this book and when they when they really get to get to wrap their head around what's going on. I know the manuscript is being shared, you know, as Onyx Path always does. Yep. So you'll be able to, you know, if you back it, you'll be able to start diving into the meat of the material day one. Um, so hearing about how people are going to engage with this material, I really am looking forward to that. I really hope that um, we have an active uh, Kickstarter in terms of people talking about how they're using it at the table and talking about, you know, stories about their game. Because in my mind, that's the the best part of this, you know, is 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 telling stories with people. That's what it's about. It's about sitting around the campfire and sharing a story. Um, and in a in a very real way, as a developer, I get to do that with people from all over the world that I'll never meet. Um, and so that's exciting. But but having the platform of Kickstarter for people to not only do that, but then hop on and say, oh, you know, we ran into this creature on our way out of Leone and it was, you know, and we killed it by X, Y, and Z and our bird almost died and all this fun stuff. Like being able to really see like how that stuff comes together and coalesces is beyond exciting for me. It's awesome. Is there anything coming up um, in the future that we can look forward to with Scarlands that you can talk about? Um, the other things, I guess, that are on their way or, um, nearing completion we have been working for the last year or so we've been releasing um a pair of expansions uh one is called yugman's guide to gelspad and that is a player facing expansion that has classes races spells magic items and equipment and it's told sort of through the perspective of uh journals and letters of this wizard named yugman who's uh kind of the oldest and wisest figure in Scarlet lore. And we've been releasing it uh, piece by piece over the course of the last year, bi-monthly. The last installment of that uh, comes out last week of November. Um, So that's exciting, uh, having that out there. So it'll be there where people have all these new um, tools to bring into their toolbox aside from what's in Dead Man's Rust. There's also all the extra tools and Yugmans that you can bring into your toolbox. Um, on the months opposite of Yugman's coming out, we've been releasing Vigil Watch, which is a series of uh, mini gazetteers. They um, focus on areas of the setting that are mentioned in the core book, but not really fleshed out much. So we wanted to flesh those out and give those some attention. Places that have never really been discussed prior to um, 5th edition, like Leone. You know, one of the chapters of Vigil Watch is, is, is about Leone. Um, and that will also be wrapping up end of December. So, and then those will both get full collected editions when they're done. They have some bonus content in them, things like that. So, um, I would recommend if you've not yet done so, and you're hearing this podcast to go check out Yugman's Guide to Gelsped and Vigil Watch, uh, cause they will give you also a very affordable, um, and bite-sized sort of step into the world that allows you really like process it and get a really strong flavor for, for the way the world can be, what the world's like. Awesome. Um, James, do you have any other follow-up questions? No, well, uh, I, I think, I think most of them will be me wanting to delve into a book and, uh, and do some reading. So, um, <laughs> I recommend it. That's totally fine. All right. 
So um, Travis, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Um, we are definitely looking forward to the Kickstarter and we'll be promoting it on all of our social media and everything like that. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I would love to hear what people think. Uh, so definitely reach out to me on social media. I'm at Travis Leg pretty much everywhere that on the internet. So um, I love talking about uh, this stuff. I love talking about Skylands. I love talking about D&D. Um, hit me up. Fantastic. All right. Um, James, do you want to read the closing or should I? Um, well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll usually I'm used to Chris doing this, but uh, yeah, we are uh, <laughs> days radio at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash days radio. Uh, we're on Twitter at. Oh, gosh, no. We're on Twitter at at Darker Days Radio. <laughs> Um, and we're on Instagram, Tumblr, on Tabletop, YouTube, Twitch, uh, and we have a Discord, which will be linked in the show notes that you can't see me pointing at. Uh, they're down here. Um, yeah, I think I got that. See everybody. Bye. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Occam's Laser.